Welcome to Christ Church, where our vision is to change the world by transforming people of all races and cultures into passionate followers of Jesus Christ. Now, let's go into today's message. My name is Kayshawn Cotty. Everybody here at the church calls me KC. It's my initials. You could call me KC. It's cool. Um, and I just want to give honor, first and foremost, to God for allowing me to be here today. Uh, secondly, to um, my pastors, uh, Pastor Brian and uh, Dr. A, who could not be here tonight. She's out being the hands and the feet of God. So uh, we just, I want to give honor to them for shepherding me and leading me and putting me in a place, uh, in a position to bring the Lord's word forth. I, I want to give honor to my mother, uh, because without her, I definitely wouldn't be here. And, and uh, to all the other ministers and pastors and leaders um, from other churches and especially Christ Church that are here, uh, the prayers that you guys have been praying for me. Because two years ago, I, I, am not, I wouldn't be in the position I, that I am today without the prayers, the fervent prayers of you all that are in here tonight. Amen. Amen. Yeah. I hear you, nephew. I hear you back there clapping for me. So uh, I'm going to hop right in this. I'm going to start with a joke. I learned to tell a joke first from Pastor John and Pastor Brian. But Pastor John, he takes the cake with the jokes. So, so I got one for you. Don't worry. All right. Titled The Army of the Lord. A friend in front of me was coming out of the church one day, and the preacher was standing at the door, as he always did to shake hands. He grabbed my friend by the hand and pulled him aside. Then the pastor said to him, you need to join the army of the Lord. The friend replied, I am already in the army of the Lord, Pastor. Pastor questioned him, how come I don't see you except at Christmas and Easter? He whispered back, I'm in the secret service. <laughs> had, me, had me going all night, I tell y'all. I couldn't wait to say that all day. But uh, also, um, amen, amen. But I have some good news for you guys this evening. Jesus Christ died on the cross 2018 years ago, and he has removed shame and condemnation from our lives. And all is that he asks is that we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. So we need to let the spirit of God renew our mind so that we can all give God our complete yes in obedience. And he promised to pour out his spirit, amen? So Father God, I thank you right now, Lord. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your patience. And I thank you for your mercy, God. Use me. I am available and I am listening. Soften my heart. Give me eyes to see and ears to hear what you are doing. And I thank you in Jesus' name. I know when we think of Good Friday, we see Jesus on the cross. We see that our Savior was brutally beaten beyond the ability to identify him. He was beaten and bruised for our iniquities. Jesus had to take on the sin of the world to be received as the perfect sacrifice to free us from the bondage of pain, death, shame, and condemnation. And we know that from Isaiah 53, 5, it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Dietrich Bonhoeffer quoted this. He said, the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. You know, my relationship with God is the reason I give praise and I worship him, because he rescued me, because he provides for me, because he challenges me, because he had a redemption plan for us. He has always had our best interest in mind, and there has always been a plan for every situation, circumstance, an attack that has occurred in our life. Yes, sir. And we know that from Jeremiah. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Amen. So I want to walk with you through one of the most important and profound things that Jesus ever said. Even though everything Jesus said was important and profound, there, there's, there's, some, there's some gold mines that, that, we can take from, um, that we can take from his last words. One of his last words on the cross that will forever send shockwaves throughout the world and even inside of us even now. And it's found in the Gospel of John. And it's in John 19.30. You guys don't have to turn there. It should be up on the projector. John 19.30 says this. 
When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So I'm just going to ask you, can you turn to your neighbor and just say, it is finished. And if you have another neighbor, you can turn to them if you didn't get the finishing. Amen. It is finished. Some may ask what was finished. Well, one thing is that all the prophecies that were foretold, that were foretold from the Old Testament, that the work, uh, the work of the cross was completed, that Jesus would die, that he would come, that he would be the sacrificial lamb. It says Jesus died and conquered the grave and allowed us to have direct communication with the Father through him. And we received the Holy Spirit so that we can spend eternity in heaven worshiping the Father. That's what was finished at the cross. So I might suggest to you this evening that the work was finished and Jesus died in the spiritual the day before. I believe that, yes, Jesus physically died on Good Friday, but he spiritually died the day before. So how many of you know that before you physically say yes, you spiritually say yes? Before you physically decide to go pray, you spiritually say, I'm going to spend time with the Lord. Before you physically get in the car to go to church, you spiritually say, I'm going to go to church to seek God's face. Before you physically commit to a time of prayer and fasting, you spiritually say, I want the more of God's presence in my life, and I will put away my fleshly desires to seek God. Jesus was able to complete the work of the cross not only because it was his assignment, but because he said yes in his spirit before the physical action was to take place. So I'm going to bring you there where, where he said that, where it all happened, and that's in Matthew. In Matthew 26, 36 to 39 is where I believe Jesus said his final yes in his spirit. And it reads this. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And, and, that, and that happened three times. Who is in a situation where you are saying, Father God, do I have to do this? Do I have to cut ties with this relationship? Do I have to remove myself from these circle of friends that I have no business being with? Do I have to seek your face in the secret place to hear your voice more clearly? But I believe the Lord is saying, not my will, but the Father's to you. Jesus gave up his agenda to pick up the agenda of the Father. He knew what his purpose and destiny was. Most of us in here have a clue to where God is calling us. And God is calling us to be obedient in that. But we have free choice. And sometimes we allow the easy route or the comfortable route to take us the wrong way. But even Jesus had a moment of weakness. It says in Luke twenty-two forty-three, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So that's saying that not all decisions you're going to make in this next season in your life are going to be easy. But God is going to send angelic assistance to strengthen you. Amen? So that you can declare Galatians 2.20 over your life. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We know that Jesus was sent by God as a sacrifice to pay the price for something he didn't do. How many of us have, have felt that way? Not the whole dying on the cross thing, but honestly, how many of you have been on the chopping block because someone else decided to act in disobedience? Or you feel you went down the wrong road and it just didn't feel right? And now you have to make a decision to trust God or to turn and do your own thing. Maybe you're in a, you're in a situation, guilty by association, wrong place, wrong time. Or you were accused of something. Say, some, maybe somebody said you did something or you did something that you didn't do. I will even go as far as to say you were on a team that didn't represent you or Christ well. Maybe business or a group of influencers. And you spent years in the background working towards something that didn't represent you well or Christ well. And now you want out. 
working in the background because you didn't want to be seen. I want to tell you this evening that God wants your yes. He knows that the world is not taking it easy on you, and it may feel like the weight is too much for you to bear. You may even feel that you spent so much time in this one place it doesn't make sense to change what you're doing or go where God is calling you. We all know that when we start to think about time, we get very anxious because everything happens so quick nowadays. But there was something burning in my spirit last night that I didn't have, that I now have this morning. And I came to tell you tonight that Jesus dying on the cross did a lot of things and it fulfilled a lot of promises. But the good news is that God is a redeemer of time. And I believe that tonight the Lord wanted me to declare over everybody in here tonight and, and that, that this word will go out into the streets and flood the community in the region, that God is a redeemer of time. Can I hear amen? amen. It says in Joel 2.25, I will restore the years that have been stolen, that have been eaten by the locusts. Jesus can do that. And there's three things that happen that you'll notice that will be happening as you begin to get your time back. It says God is deepening your communion with Christ. So the children of Israel, they endured a lot. But as they drew closer to God, their time, they really didn't think about time too much. So I believe that as you deepen your communion with Christ, that that is when God will start to restore time that has been lost. He is also going to restore time in, in multiplication. God is multiplying your fruitfulness. It's almost going to be like a season of acceleration, right? So the harvest, like the bumper harvest, right? So... What may have taken a decade may take one year as you press in, right? As you say, God, I give you my yes. As you say, God, I'm here. As you say, God, I'm available. I'm ready, and I'll do what you need me to do. And I really believe that this is a year of multiplication where God is going to accelerate your, your harvest, right? Amen. And he is going to bring long-term gain from short-term loss. So there may be some things that, that you may have felt have you been in a long time, but God is outside of time, and he's not thinking about our time. We can barely look at somebody and tell what age they are. So we have no concept of time, right? But God is saying that he's going to bring long-term gain to your short-term loss. Amen. So I just want you guys to know that it is finished already. Jesus died. He went to hell, conquered the grave. He overcame the greatest fear of all, which is death, right? Everybody fears death, but that's conquered. We don't have to fear that any longer. Then he came back and allowed us to touch him. He came back and said he wants to commune with us, and he wants to impart his spirit into us. So I believe if you pick up your cross and say, God, I'm going to walk this thing out, no matter what it looks like, I'm going to say yes, because you promised me prosperity. You promised me abundance. You promised me joy and peace. You promised me that you would prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I am trusting you to guide me, because I cannot do this on my own. Amen. He declared in John 14 that he would send the Holy Spirit and it would teach you all things and it will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. Peace I give you. And one thing that really got me was um, when it said Jesus was up on the cross and before he gave his last breath and gave up the spirit that he was, that he was hanging on the cross and that he said, it is finished. All the prophecy, all the words that were said of the coming of Jesus and the death of Jesus, as, he, as, as the last thing he said was, I'm thirsty. And he said, it's finished. He bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. In all the translations, I looked at that verse. It said he bowed his head. So I wondered, like, you know, the idea of bowing. I, I believe that it's, it's symbolic of you know, of reverence and worship when you bow your head or you bow down. I believe it's just not a coincidence that they use that word. I believe that God and, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit were, were almost uh, symbolic of us and how we know we hang ourselves on the cross. We pick up our cross and we go and then we bow down in reverence to God. First we say, you know, it is finished. We give our yes to God. And then we bow down in submission to him. And then we give up our spirit to pick up a greater spirit. So I believe that, that it was no coincidence that, he word, that it's worded like that. So I really believe that as we go into this next season, as we leave here tonight, that we say yes to God. Not now. We say yes to God the day before, the week before, the month before. Because I believe that doing anything of great magnitude starts with prayer, right? So anything of great magnitude starts with prayer. So when we say yes 
uh, a week before we have a decision or a month before we have a decision. We say yes in our spirit, and then we go into prayer. And then when that moment arises, we're ready. We're not looking back. When the waves and the wind come, we're not going to be shaken by that. We're going to stand on the ground in the prayers that we already laid before us, right? So in closing, I just want to challenge you guys in this next season to really be intentional with saying yes to God in advance. I, I, I don't want you guys to get an opportunity and hold on to it and sit on it. I want you guys to take it into your prayer closet. I want you to say, yes, God, if it's something from God, I want you to take it and say, yes, and then wait it out and see what happens because things are going to come. The enemy is going to try to shake you because you have destiny and you have purpose, right? So the enemy knows that. And as soon as you declare what you're going to do, he's going to send everything that looks appeasing to you, everything that he knows that you like, and he's going to shoot it your way. So when it comes, you're already prepared. Jesus knew that the, that the enemy was going to come. He knew, but he prepared himself. He said yes the day before in the garden. And yes, he had a hard time with that, but he still said yes. So I declare that that spirit of yes would be all over you guys this evening, that, that when, op when opportunities come from the Lord, that you will not be afraid, that you will not be scared, that you will walk into it with purpose and commitment and dedication. So, so Father God, I give you my yes. I give you my yes without knowing what lies ahead of me. But I do know that my yes is connected to others. And I may not know what you're going to do, but I'm willing to play my part. We have been made whole and right. And you see us as perfect in your eyes. As if we've never sinned. So I take a hold of the obedience, holiness, and righteousness you have placed on me. I know that right now, in this Kairos moment, you are giving me grace to finish things that I am involved in, that you finished for me on the cross 2,018 years ago, so that I could walk in the fullness of God. Whatever those things are that we are believing God for, whether it's for the church, school, our families, our communities, we are going to begin to prophesy those things if they, if they are already done. It is finished. The nation hinges upon our yes, and we come into alignment. And it is never too late. Even the thief on the cross beside Jesus was able to obtain eternity and paradise. So let today be the day you say yes to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Are you ready? Are you ready for what God has for you tonight? I'm coming from John 3.16 tonight. And I, I, I want you to, I'm the kind of preacher that likes people to talk back to me. I'm interactive. I'm Pentecostal, all right? Is that all right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Tell your neighbor, God gave me something because he loved me. I trust what he gave me. I believe in what he gave me. And I cherish what he gave me. My topic tonight is the gift of the cross. You know, I, I began, as I did the sermons, I began to think that people in the traditional world and religious world see today as a day of sadness and grieving. But when I took a seat back and began to see the gifts that God provided through his crucifixion, I said, I got to celebrate. Today is a day of celebration. How many of us like to receive gifts? You know, as human beings, we love to be, feel appreciated and loved. You know, when I give away a, a, a gift to my wife, I see her smiling. I guess hugs and kisses, right? How many been there, right? So as human beings, when we receive a gift, we feel appreciated. We feel honored. We feel loved. Because the gift says something about the giver and about the recipient. You know, we love those gifts that we get, but we're not expecting anything. The just because gifts. How many ever got a just because gift? 
according to the dictionary, because I, I need to understand what the word gifts mean to understand what God did for me. The word gift in the dictionary means something that is acquired or something that is bestowed without being earned. In a gift, there's a transaction that takes place between the giver and the receiver. When Jesus died, a transaction took place between him and us. Number two, the giver expresses his sentiment towards the other person through the gift. So to show appreciation, a giver will usually go out of his or her way to obtain a gift that is based on the person's needs, the person's desires, or the person's likes. The giver will be very observant, right, and attentive to the needs of the recipient. And the giver says, I got to get a well thought out gift to give so this person feels honored and loved. So we could say that tonight that a gift speaks about the recipient and it speaks about the giver. It speaks about a relationship that exists between the giver and the recipient. And finally, the gift elicits a response from the recipient. You know, I was reading in a report of psychology, and the report said that part of the giver's individuality can be reflected in the gift and passed on to the receiver. So therefore, the gift holds an expressive value that is an indication of the depth of the relationship that the giver has for the receiver. And that the value is difficult to measure because it's personal and it's subjective. Also that the gift is a symbolic declaration about the giver, the receiver, and the relationship that connects them. The recipient of the gift expresses his or her approval or disapproval of the gift with a response. So tonight my question is, what were the characteristics of the gift that Jesus provided on the cross? Number one is, Jesus left us a gift on the cross that was well thought out. He just didn't say, I'm going to get up and die. He thought out a plan. He prepared the gift. It was a gift that was prepared in advance. In the book of Revelation 13:8, it says that the lamb was slain from the creation of the world. Jesus was thinking about your need, my need, and he had a well thought out gift even before the fall of man. He knew that we were going to mess up. He knew that man was going to fall. But he said, I got a gift that's prepared. And he offered himself and he offered his life. Our gift was prepared even before you and I were created. The gift was wrapped up. And it says in the Bible, when the fullness of time would come, Jesus came into the scene. Secondly, the gift had my name on it. Mm, I feel God in here. The gift had my name on it. It was engraved and it was personalized. Isaiah 49, 16 says, see, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. And your walls are before me. You see, an engraved gift is a memorable gift. Because it cannot be erased or it cannot be removed. An engraved gift is a personalized gift. Especially if it has your name on it. It's not just given to anyone. It's your name that has been inscribed. 
And Jesus, in the word of Isaiah says, he says, your name has been engraved in the palm of his hands. What that means is that the owner has established that you belong to him. What Jesus was saying, you belong to me because your name has been engraved in my hands. Jesus was establishing that we are his. And that he died on the cross. He had you and I in mind. It wasn't a mistake. Before the creation of time, Jesus had you in mind. The third thing is. That the gift cannot be taken away from you. There's no return policy with the gift. My God, I feel it. John 10, 28 and 29 says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. And no one, somebody say no one. Tell your neighbor, nobody. No one will snatch them out of my hand. No devil in hell, no problem can snatch you out of his hand. Tell your neighbor, they can't take it away from me because it's mine. It has no return policy. The book of Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39 says, for I am convinced, tell somebody I'm convinced you can't change my mind on this one. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Nothing, nothing, nothing can snatch me out. Secondly, the gift had a message and the gift spoke. Tell somebody, the gift is speaking. The death of Jesus was one of the greatest gifts that we could receive. But what did the gift speak of? You know, people like good stuff, good gifts. And God is the one that gives the best gifts. Number one, the gift that Jesus gave us spoke of his love. The Bible says, but God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, you and I were condemned to die. There was no hope for us. We were supposed to be with the devil and hell, but Jesus gave us a gift. Death would separate us from God. Sin separated from God. But he forgave our sins. He didn't look at our sin and our condition and say, I'm going to leave you there hopeless. Instead, he said, I'm going to give you a position in me. You're not staying in your condition. I'm bringing you up higher. And I'm giving you a position with me. Songs of Solomon 2.4 says that his banner over me is love. Now, I began to research what a banner is. I was like, why does the Bible say that his banner over me is love? I don't get it. I, I got to find out what the answer is. Well, I found out that in olden times, a banner was placed on a mountain. Somebody with me tonight. And it was used as a signal flag by armies to indicate when a town or a territory had been conquered in battle. So what I saw was a picture of Jesus carrying the cross. He's carrying the cross to Golgotha. And he puts the banner on the earth on the mountaintop. And he said, I conquered the territory 
that the devil tried to take from man. You thought you had him, but I stepped in and I put the cross as the banner. His banner over me is love. When Jesus died on the cross, he was telling the devil, they belong to me and you can't take them from me. You know, I used to hear in history books that when a conqueror would reach new lands, he would get a banner or a flag when he got to a new country and he would lay it on that ground and he would say, this is my territory. God has marked the territory. You are his territory. You belong to him. The cross became the banner that Jesus used to tell the enemy, you can't touch them anymore. Tell somebody, can't touch this. Can't touch this. The devil was mad in the beginning because he stepped into the Garden of Eden. He said, I'm taking over. But God had prepared a gift in the fullness of time. And he put the banner and said, devil, I gave you your time. But time's up. Tell somebody, time's up. Time's up. Time's up. Time's up. When Jesus died on the cross, his love was creating protection. His banner was over me, over you. It became our standard. Isaiah 54, 10 says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. Nor my covenant of peace will be removed. But what else did it speak of? It spoke of forgiveness. When Jesus was on the cross dying, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It was about forgiveness. And I looked up the word forgiveness. You know, I always got to understand what God is saying because sometimes you don't understand it. So you got to research it. And the Greek word for forgiveness is to send away, to depart, to dismiss, to let go. So what Jesus was saying when he was dying, I'm sending away. I'm dismissing their offense. Because sin created distance between God and man. It created a separation. And intimacy was lost. But God gave us forgiveness as a weapon. Somebody say forgiveness is a weapon. You didn't know that? Forgiveness is a weapon. Against the enemy. Because when we don't forgive, something begins to harbor in us. Bitterness, hatred. But Jesus, God, the word Psalms, David said, as far as the east is from the west. So far, he removed our transgressions from us. When something is removed, it's taken away. He took it away. Tell somebody, he took it away. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. He forgave us so we could forgive others. Because sin was our debt. 
that we couldn't pay. But Jesus paid it. He spoke of eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The gift that Jesus gave us was to be eternally with him. His desire has always been for us to be with him eternally. With no separation. Because sin separated us from God. And our verdict was death. You know what happened, I think? That the devil became jealous of us. Because he had the experience in heaven. He knew what the glory was. He knew what God's presence was. And when he sees that God creates man and God wants a relationship with man, he's like, wait a minute. He booted me out of heaven, took me out of heaven. When I was up there, I was the worship leader. He became jealous. He knew what it was to live in his presence. He had a foretaste of God's glory. But he was removed. And he didn't want us to live eternally with God. The Bible says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I come that they may have life and have it in abundance. A life that is overflowing with God's power, authority. His death was not in vain. He died so I could live. And he came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to give us intimacy with him. Because before the, the, the priest was the only one that could go into the holies of holies. But now he gives us access into his presence. He gave us salvation. He provided for our needs, not just spiritual, but earthly. When he looked at his mother and he looked at John, he understood the relationship that was between them. And he understood that his time and his relationship with his mother had ended. And he didn't want to forsake her. He understood the earthly relationship. And he said, John, Mary. You're going to have a relationship now. If you're going through something, he understands. If you've been through a divorce, a single mother, a single dad, whatever, he's looking at you tonight. And he say, behold, here's your son. Behold, here's your mother. Because he cares for you. He healed you. And he made a declaration. It's finished. Tetelestai. Tetelestai. That's, a, that's the Greek word. Which means the payment has been made. And now you're free. God bless you. I tell you, I can feel the presence of God in here. Can somebody feel the presence of God? How many of us can feel his presence? His empowering, invigorating presence. He's here right now. Amen. Glory to God. I tell you, I'm just so overwhelmed with joy and what, and what we've been hearing. I'm telling you, we've been hearing some top-notch word tonight. Oh, y'all don't hear what I'm saying? Top-notch word. Yes, praise God. I tell you, you know, Casey was sharing. I almost, got, I almost started to run around the church when he was talking about, it is finished. <laughs> and then my brother Hector came and Oh, my God. He started talking about the gift of the cross. And I said, Lord, if he steps on my message, we're going to be fighting in the parking lot. Oh, I'm just joking in Jesus' name. Oh, come on, y'all. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Like, man, the Holy Ghost is on my message. <laughs> Praise God. That's how you know the Spirit of God is in the house when he keeps resounding the same voice. Because, see, there's only one sound coming from heaven. There's not conflicting sounds. There's not multiple sounds because the God we serve is not schizophrenic. He gets it right the first time, and we can hear what he's saying right now. And he's saying it is finished. He's saying the gift of the cross. And tonight I just want to share with you just for a few minutes the intentionality of the cross. The intentionality of the cross. You know, you may think to yourself, well, what does that word mean? That's a big word, intentionality. I heard KC was moving and I said, oh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> 
The word intentionality means the act of being purposeful, intentional, and deliberate by design. Do you hear that? The act of being purposeful, intentional, and deliberate by design. When someone is intentional, that means that they're premeditative and they're thinking way beyond an event occurs. Mm. As I was sitting back and I, I was looking through the Gospel of John, the 19th chapter, and in verse 28, as I was reading the verse, it says, And this Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that just jumped out at me. I said, wow, all things were now accomplished. It spoke to me about the fact that God had, in eternity past, had already been sitting down thinking about this moment, this time in history, and he cleared it out way before the sun even got there. It started reminding me about how in the mind of God, how you can sit around and hear the Godhead con consorting and, and thinking among one another, having counsel with one another and saying, hmm, let's, let's, let's take a lamb and, 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 and slay that lamb. And then let's make a man who needs the lamb and take that lamb and, and take that man and send the lamb down through the man's family line. You can start to see the mind of God and what he's trying to say. And, and as regards to what the world says in Barnes and Nobles and in books and stuff, people always wondering, why did Jesus die? Oh, he died because he told the truth. He died because he, he, you know, he, he made people upset. He died because he was against the religious authorities. No, the issue is he died because it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him on him, his grief. See, when we start to understand the intentionality of God, God is intentional in everything he does. That means that he's purposeful, he's involved, he's deliberate in everything that he does. Everything that he does has a purpose. We don't have to wonder, we don't have to think about it. Is this coincidence? Is this circumstance? No, God has already got it planned out before we get there, and he is intentional, just that he is intentional with the cross. Think about this here, where God was saying to himself, he needed to be intentional in the design of a brand new altar. Because that's what the cross was. God never left his people without a sacrificial system. And he says, I cannot just create and allow a regular cross. I have to allow part of who I am, the Godhead, the part of who he is. He has to come down and now create a cross that is just as heinous and vile and wretched as sin itself, the cross of Christ. Mm. Intentional in the altar. And God is intentional in the Godman because you know why? Because let's face it, he's eternal. He's never, he's never died. He's always been living. He's always been existing. He's infinite. He's eternal. And he had to sit back and be calculated and premeditative when he was thinking about the God-man. Why? He says, I have to come in and I have to prepare a body, one that is fully human. Since man sinned, it was necessary that the penalty of sin be borne by a man. He says, I have to come on and take on the very form of my own creation. And I have to suffer as if he would suffer in body and in soul, just as a man. He says, I have to come as a man, but he couldn't just come as a man. He also had to come fully as God. Somebody say he came as God. He was fully God. Only God can bring the sacrifice of a sacrifice of infinite value. A sacrifice that was totally sinless, rendering perfect obedience to his own law. It had to be God. Only God can withstand the fury and intensity of his own wrath and then be able to free others from the curse of sin and death. It had to be God. Charles Spurgeon once said it like this. He says, I could not trust my soul with a mere man, nor believe in an atonement made by a mere man. I must see God himself putting his hand to such a gigantic work. It had to be God. Jesus was fully God and fully man, and he planned it out way before the foundations of the earth. He did it for you, and he did it for me. Somebody say, he did it for me. For the joy that was set before him, he endured 
the cross. That means when he was going through his suffering, he thought about you and I, and he called our names out in his spirit, crying out and says, oh, I'm going to redeem my daughter. I'm going to restore my son. God was intentional about the cross, and he was intentional even about the vocation in which Jesus was about to have as he walked the earth. You know what the vocation is, his career, his, his job. Right? God had to create and put and make sure that he placed his son to be in the house of a carpenter. Mm, do you hear what I'm saying? He had to make sure that he selected a vocation that was strategic because he had to make sure that the physique of the son could handle the magnitude of the suffering of the cross. He was intentional. Jesus had the physique of a carpenter. Anybody ever see somebody who works out and, and you know, and, and they're, they're involved in landscaping and they're involved in, you ever see somebody like that, you know, you see their hands and their hands are, are rustic and, and thick and they, they, got, they got calluses on their hands. They have shoulders. See, the, I, I love the fact that I believe, based off of the scriptures, that the Jesus that we serve, he is a man's man. He had thick fingers. He was a carpenter. He had calloused hands. He had broad shoulders. He had a thick neck. He had a beard. He had, he had a rustic brow. He was, he was the kind of man that labored outside. He had a tan. Oh, y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all know what I'm You know, I, I, I'm so sick and tired of seeing those very, you know, genteel and effeminate looking, you know, uh, metrosexual Jesus, all perfect and everything. No, my God was a man's man. And he served like a man's man. Only a man's man can endure the atrocity of the cross and take a licking and still keep on ticking. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. He was a man's man. When we think about the mind of God, God was intentional in the physical structure of his son. He says, I have to make his face in a certain measurement in a way because his face has to be able to be seen for Judas to kiss it, the, the one who betrayed him. He says, I have to make his face in a certain structure so that way when they spit on it, the spit can run down and others can see his degradation and humiliation. I have to be able to give him a face where he can endure the punching of numerous soldiers. He says, I have to make him and give him a back, a back that is broad enough with the sufficient muscle tissue to endure the repeated tearing of his flesh with metal and bone that was embedded in the whip in which they flogged him with. He says, I have to give my son the bone structure that was strong enough to not shatter under the continual beating of chief priests, of temple guards, of the flogging and the brutality of dozens and dozens of Roman soldiers. Because the scripture says that not one of his bones were broken. Jesus was a man's man. Jesus was a man's man. Oh, y'all don't hear what I'm saying. He's a man's man. We don't serve a weak and timid God. We serve a God who is strong and power and strong and mighty. And he endured the cross, despising the shame because he loved you and I. He says, I'm going to send my best because I want to redeem my people. I'm not just going to send somebody wimpy who will not be able to endure the magnitude of the physicality. I'm going to send somebody that can go the full way until he declares what my brother Casey said. It is finished. God was intentional. In the cross, he was intentional in his son. He had to make his crown and head strong enough to take repeated concussions and that it will not swell beyond the degree that it cannot house a crown of thorns that could fit perfectly on his head. The father had to make sure that his son would come through the hands that would be firm enough to receive nine inch nails. We have to think about how God was intentional and he planned it that his feet had to be so strong and so durable that even as he was on the cross and he was gasping for air, his feet would not fall underneath the weight of his body and he'd be able to push it up just to get air, a breather of air while, and force air into his lungs while he fulfilled the Father's will. I thank God for the blood that flowed for you and me because God was intentional that this just couldn't be a man's blood, but it was the blood of God. 
It was the blood of God. The scripture says in Acts the 20th chapter that God redeemed us and purchased us with his own blood. It was Jesus' blood that purchased you and I, and it's because of his blood that we are here right now. I think about the hymnist that used to declare that there's a fountain that flows with blood that comes from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunge into that flood and lose all their guilty stains. I'm telling you, I thank God for the blood. Somebody say the blood. Ah, the, oh, the blood. It's the blood of Jesus. God was even intentional in how Jesus suffered. Do you know that? He was intentional with how he suffered. Do you know, as we sit back and think about all the different parts of Jesus' body as he was suffering, it was giving us a complete and total atonement and redemption where we can walk into a new level of newness, walking in the newness of life because of what Jesus purchased. When we think about how he endured the pain on his back, the back represents what's behind us. And God, when he came to save us, he says, I'm going to not just redeem you because of what happens before, but I'm going to redeem you from your past my past is covered under the blood somebody say the blood when Jesus was flogged on his back flogged on his back he was the one who was saying I got your past underneath the blood and then as he has his head that was pushed with the crown of thorns and the blood came trickling down I thank God that the blood came down upon his head because if it wasn't for the blood I don't know if my crooked mind would be renewed but when Jesus poured out his blood on my mind he renewed my mind and now my thinking is different now I used to I used to think wicked but now I think like him because he's renewed me in the spirit of my mind he redeemed me in my mind Ah, I don't no longer have false imaginations. Now I think more like him because he purchased me. He redeemed my mind. I thank God that as the blood came down, even as God was intentional, he says, after I've redeemed their past and after they were after you've taken all the pain in your back and after I'm redeeming their mind, now I'm going to redeem their hands. I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to redeem my people. I'm going to be able to give them. It's because it's with the hands that we serve others. It's with the hands that, that we serve and touch. Who can ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in the holy place of God? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. He had to clean. So when Jesus took the nails in his hand, he says, I'm also redeeming their work. I'm redeeming what they do. I'm actually putting a part of myself in what they do because I want them to represent me as they embrace everything that I purchased for them. And then Jesus, I thank God for his son as he made sure that his feet was covered in the blood because the feet represent one's life and walk. As Jesus bled and died and covered our feet, I thank God that as he bled and died, that now our feet is now covered with the gospel of peace and we can go forward in the good tidings and glad tidings as we go forward in God. I thank him for his blood. See, people can thank God for their bank account, but I thank him for the blood. You can thank him for your notoriety and your popularity, but I thank God for the blood. You can thank him for your education and for your lineage, but you know what? I thank God for the blood because it's the blood that, that, called, that caused me to be redeemed from that which was lost. I thank God that he was intentional in the cross and he designed it for you and I to bring us total redemption. Total redemption. Jesus was intentional in that he did not die prematurely, but he hung on the cross for three hours until the full cup of the Father's wrath had been poured out for sin and for a broken humanity. He says, I'm not going to die prematurely. I'm going to wait until all of the Father's wrath falls on me. And as it falls on me, and after it's done, then he could declare, It is finished. On the cross of Christ, which is the height, the pinnacle of God's revelation. Jesus defeated sin, death, and Satan and ushered in a cosmic restoration. Ah, oh, the intentionality of the cross. God was intentional in redeeming us. God was intentional in restoring us. He not just restored my condition, but also my position. 
He restored me because of his blood. I thank God for the blood, for the blood that has been poured out for you and I. He was intentional in the design of his cross, and he was also intentional for the total redemption of man. Let's give God a praise today for his intentionality. He's intentional in the cross. He's intentional in what he does. As I was sitting back listening to the message and I started hearing as KC was ministering, he was saying that as, as we ought to be intentional as we think about everything that Jesus does, I believe that we, all, we too are coming into a season where we're, we're going to start to see God move like never before. We're going to see a season of multiplication as we are intentional, just like our God is intentional. He's intentional. He's deliberate. He's purposeful. He's going to make sure that whatever he decides to do is going to bring forth glory. Jesus gave it all. You and I ought to pour it out all for him. Somebody give God some praise in the house for the intentionality of the cross. I thank God for the cross. I thank him for the cross. It's the cross of Christ. I heard the Apostle Paul say that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Can somebody feel power in the house? Don't you feel like your mind has been renewed? Uh, like your hands have been restored? That God has covered your back and, and now he's directing your steps because the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. As Jesus was on the cross, he was also ordering your steps. The places where I used to go, I can no longer go because God redeemed my walk. And now I'm going in the way of God. I'm going in the path of God. I'm going in the righteousness of God. Why? Because of the cross of Jesus Christ. He redeemed me and he changed my direction. I thank God for that. Ah, oh, hallelujah. God forbid that we'll glory in anything else but the cross of Jesus Christ. Somebody give God some praise for the cross, the cross of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, the cross of Jesus. We're not talking about theologians. We're talking about Jesus. We're not talking about uh, evangelists. We're talking about Jesus. Oh, glory to God. Oh, let's just thank him for the cross. Let's just thank him for the cross. God was intentional. When you are intentional, that means that there's love behind what you're doing. We thank you, Lord, that you love us and that you are intentional. And that which you're facing, oh, hallelujah, God has already worked that thing out just like he worked out the cross. The dilemma, the situation, the challenge that you are facing in your life right now, it is not an emergency or it's not something that's completely new to God. God has already seen and walked out the steps. He needs us to catch up to where he's already been. As we see God move forward today, and as we celebrate him in the cross, let us see that he not just did it 2,000 years ago, but as we walk in the power of the gospel and the cross right now, he's redeeming my mind. He's renewing my commitment in my hands, and he's blessing my, my steps as I serve him. The intentionality of the cross. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope the Word of God encouraged and motivated you in your quest to become a stronger disciple. If you have a prayer request or would like information on how to purchase additional recordings, please call the Church Administrative Office at 732-938-7500. Again, that number is 732-938-7500. You may also reach us via social media. Friend us on Facebook at Christ Church Howell. Follow us on Twitter at CC Howell NJ. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Christ Church Howell NJ or visit our webpage at www.ChristChurchNJ.com. We invite you to join us every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. for our weekly worship service as we endeavor to change the world by transforming people of all races and cultures into passionate followers of Jesus Christ.